tuning in to another exciting message from Gateway Christian Fellowship. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. And uh, good morning to the house of Gateway. Praise God. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. I am excited. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are in his time. We're in his will. And uh, we are going to be moving in his purposes this morning. I'm grateful to Pastor Lance and Darlene. Lance, I, I see him literally this morning as I'm worshiping. I see him as a man flying a kite. And God has given him, God has given him this ministry. And it's like a kite that is out there as, as that string is taunt in his hand, but there is coming a great wind, and that kite is about to take off, and I see that string flying through his fingers, and he's holding on, and so there are some new levels that the Lord is bringing this house to, and I'm excited for what is ahead of you, and uh, for the solidness of what is going on right now. Praise the Lord, I bring you um, greetings from my wife Kathy and our family, our family church, Faith Christian Church down in Clearwater, Florida. And it's, uh, again, just a privilege to be with you. Two verses if you want to get your Bibles ready. One everybody knows is John 3.16. But the other one you may or may not know is uh, Proverbs 18 and 16. I'd like you to get both of them. I want you to see them as we read them. And uh, if you're a note taker and you're writing down um, a title for this message, you'll want to call it Born to Give. Born to Give. We were designed by God to be givers. We were born to give. It's, it's our destiny to be givers. And this morning you're going to find out how specifically God has built and designed you individually and empowered you to be a great giver. In this world. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So how did God give life to the fallen race of Adam? Through coming himself as the gift. God is the ultimate gift giver. And that's what love does. Love gives. Love gives. Proverbs 18.16 says, A person's gift makes room for him and leads him before important people. Let's repeat that again. A person's gift makes room for him or her and will bring them before important people. Now, the most important thing about meeting Jesus is being introduced to the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said you have seen the Father. So he introduces us to Father God, to our Heavenly Father, our Dad. But the second most important thing is being introduced to yourself. That follows quickly on the heels of being introduced to your Father and learning who your Father is. It's being introduced to yourself and finding out who you really are. And the Lord introduces you to yourself by introducing you to your gift. Like Abraham and like Peter in the New Testament, 
When they met the Lord, he changed their names to fit who they really were, who God had made them to be. And so God has always been introducing us to who we are according to his purposes. The real you is hidden in your gifts. When you realize that God has built your soul around certain gifts in your life, that you came into this world with those gifts embedded in your soul, and you begin to realize that, and you begin to seek God to know what those gifts are, and to begin to move and operate and be the person of those gifts, that is when the real you begins to emerge. And that is when life will begin to make a place for you. I, I would just like to interject a little counsel. If, you, if your life has been in just one endless stream of closed doors and struggles and battles without victories, without breakthroughs, and you're trying everything to figure out what's wrong, one of the things that you may want to consider is finding out who you are according to God's gift in your life and begin to become that person because the Bible says a person's gift will make room for them in life. When you begin to live the gift that you are, life will lead you to your place. Can you say amen if you agree with that? And that's why Jesus said, it's more blessed to be a giver than to be a receiver. And the reason why it's more blessed to be a giver than to be a receiver is because God's entire relationship with you is built around helping you to give the gift that he baked into your soul. Think about that for a moment. That we oftentimes think that God is dealing with us about our faults and about our problems and, and trying to get us to be better people in the most generic sense of the word. And therefore, we compare ourselves to others. Where am I in the scheme of things? And we look at maybe the pastor, we look at other people. And it's good to have examples. It's good to have mentors. It's good to, uh, to be inspired by others. But the day that true happiness will begin to arrive in your life and you'll begin to live with a sense of fulfillment is the day that you realize that God has planted gifts in you. And when you became born again, he, he literally added certain supernatural elements, we call them the gifts of the Spirit, to help empower what he already put in you as an individual. And so there are gifts, plural, that God has put inside of you. And it's more blessed to be the giver of those gifts because you're never closer to God than when you're living as a giver of the gift that is your life. And uh, that's when you're most like him. And that's when life begins to show you and reveal to you your place. So perhaps doors have been closing and you've been fighting what seems to be a failing battle because you've been trying to find your place in this world without trying to find the gift that you are. And that gift will find you in your place. Now, the Apostle Paul referred to what I'm talking about this morning in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12 when he said this, Not that I have already attained, that is, I have not already become perfect, but I'm following after 
so that I might apprehend that. Everyone say that. That word that in the context of this message is one of the most powerful words in the Bible. I want you to put your hand over your heart and I want to quote this phrase. And I want you to think about it being spoken concerning you and you speaking it just as Paul spoke about his life. I follow after so that I might apprehend that for which Christ apprehended me. There is a that that's inside of you. And God has been wanting to put his finger on it. And indeed, I believe God is putting his finger on it this morning. There is a that about your life that the Lord has been trying to lead you to and bring you in contact with. Your that was imparted to you in your mother's womb. You've sensed it many times throughout your life, even before you got saved. God has been speaking to you through it. And faith and joy begin to arise in your life when you think about it. You have had visions of yourself doing various things in your life. As I said before, even before you were saved, when your soul was broken and darkened and corrupted by sin, you still sensed that divine gift on the inside, though you didn't understand it and may have pursued it in ways that were foolish or, or wrong and may have led you into trouble. But those same qualities and elements that God spun your soul around, a divine gift from Him, those things that were perhaps misused, the Lord did not wipe them out of your life. In fact, when you were saved, He redeemed them and He brought you into the kingdom so that those very things could serve Him being empowered by the Holy Spirit and supported by supernatural gifts of the Spirit. You see, you are a unique one of a kind. You're not a knockoff. You're not a copy. The Lord knew you in your mother's womb. And he put a gift inside your mother and then spun your soul around that gift and designed you to be that person. So when I say that the first thing Jesus did for you was introduce you to the Father, don't re forget that the reason that happened is so that he could introduce you to himself. He created you not because he needed a collection of people, but because God wanted fellowship with something like himself. And so you, have, you were born into this world with great value. You, you tend to think at times, and I use that, that term you in the, in the most uh, just uh, uh, generic sense of the word. I don't mean you specifically. But as a figure of speech, you tend to think that everything that predated the day you were born again, everything about your life was horrible and worthless and without value and you didn't have value till Jesus came into your life and we sing songs like that I was nothing and I got saved now I'm something and you know I it just our whole theology tends to kind of minimize those things and trivialize whatever we had even demonize what we were before we were saved but I want you to know that just like the apostle Paul had a certain set of personality characteristics and preparations that he was, came into this world with, and when the Lord redeemed him, those things were being used against God's people, and the Lord turned him around, and then they were being used for the glory of Jesus Christ. God knew what he was doing the whole time with Paul, and he knows what he's doing with you. Somebody say amen. amen. So 
faith does rise up. Joy does rise up when you begin to think about the gift. And you might not even realize that you were thinking about a gift God put in your life. Maybe you've been thinking, it's my dream. I have this secret little passion. I've always wanted to. I've always seen myself as a person who... uh, uh, it teaches people. I've always wanted to teach people, but nobody, I can't get anyone to pay attention to me. It's hard to be a teacher when nobody will pay attention to you. And so you've always sort of seen yourself, but how do you know that perhaps there isn't a genuine gift for leading others into truth? I mean a real gift for it that was put into you from the very beginning, and God's wanting to bring that gift out. Sometimes when people are, um, <laughs> my wife's not here, and nobody, you're going to call her, text her, let her know I said this. <laughs> but you know, my wife over the years, and, and by me as well, has had it pointed out to her that, you know, you don't have to correct everybody. You know, you just, my wife's the kind of person, she can walk into a room, and if a picture on the wall's crooked, it's like the bionic, her eye immediately goes to whatever's out of order, whatever's crooked, whatever's not right. I don't know a single person in this world that I've ever met that is more of an astute uh, discerner of people. We can meet a group of people, and, she, and she's not judgmental. But sometimes I said, oh, you know, you shouldn't be so critical. But she just sees things, and she sees, sees when a tilt or something's out of order. And she always has this ability to know what to do to straighten it out. And uh, it has really been a great asset to us over the years through our marriage, particularly to me. That's the part I don't want you to tell her that I said that. But the fact is, those those kind of gifts can be criticized. You know, oh, you're so bossy. You know, or, or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, is that was something, she can't not be that way. That is a gift that God has given. And in the hands of grace, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, my goodness, we need that gift in this world today. We need people who know how and have a passion. I, I got to tell you, even though I'm a pastor, I get real tired of pointing out what's tilted and what's not right. I mean, I don't want to even engage with that stuff. I'm too, I'm happy-go-lucky and, you know, I just don't want to deal with it. So when you've got a gift to be that way, to set things in order, I've often said if she went into the corporate world, she could work as a troubleshooter, whatever title they gave her. The job would be just, what's wrong with our company? How come we're not moving? She could get it figured out. And production would all of a sudden multiply. So, There is a that in your life, and you've been thinking about it throughout your life. God's been talking to you through that. And the Apostle Paul referred to his as that for which Jesus apprehended me. And each one of you have a that. Now, Christians often mistake the that for which Christ apprehended you or apprehended me as um, referring to just being a Christian. In other words, Jesus apprehended me so that I could be a Christian. And oftentimes we think that is the goal for why I became saved, so that I could just be a believer. And if I plant myself into a church, they'll find a place for me, and I'll 
and I'll find significance, and I will live as a Christian, and I'll be significant, and I'll bear fruit when I stand before the Lord. There'll be some fruit that, that I can present to Jesus. But I want to tell you today, and you need to hear this, that for which Jesus apprehended you is not the least bit generic. It's not just the general category of Christianity and you becoming a Christian. It is highly personal. It is uniquely individual. The gift around which God designed your soul. It's the most real and the most significant part of your life. It's the conversation that God is having with you. Everything he speaks to you about is aimed from his perspective at the gift of who you are. When God first started to talk to Abraham, he didn't begin by making adjustments in Abraham's life and saying, you know, you, you get under pressure, you have a tendency to fudge the truth and s s do dumb things under pressure. I need to, to kind of groom you because you're going to have some challenges in your life. No, the first thing he did was he began to talk to Abram as Abraham changed his name so that he, they could have a conversation. He made him have to go through life with the now accelerated humility of saying, I'm now not just a father, a great father, but I'm a father of a multitude. Can you imagine um, if you're 75 years old, you've gone through life and someone asks you at the deli, what's your name? Um, My name is uh, Exalted Father. How are you doing? What's your name? Oh, Exalted Father. How many children do you have? We have actually none. We have no children. Your wife's barren. and um, So that's humiliating. And the Lord says, now nah, that name's not strong enough. You're, we're going to put a ham at the end of your name. Abraham means an exalted father, father of a multitude. So you now got to go back to the deli and tell him, uh, name change. I am now father of a multitude. Father of as many stars as there are in the sky. That's how many children I have. But that was the way God could begin to talk with Abraham is to begin to think of himself according to the gift that God had put in his life. And if you think that just because things have not materialized in your life according to the dream or the vision, the potential that God's begun to talk to you about in your life, and it's been months and weeks and nothing's happened, maybe a year or two, Abraham went 25 years before that son showed up. But then that son turned into a dozen that turned into dozens, thousands, and millions and produced our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the that in your life is the conversation that God is having with you. Perhaps if you dialed in with, the, with your heavenly Father, from the standpoint of Father, I am here. And as a believer, I lift up my gate and I open my door, and I worship you, I welcome in the King of glory, and whatever you know about yourself that God has shown you, you are as a gift. Say, Lord, the teacher welcomes you into the classroom this morning. The, the, the mercy giver opens the door to you. The prophet praises you today. The builder welcomes you in. I worship you as if you wear several hats, praise him with all those hats on. Father, Father this morning, I kneel before you at attention. And the, 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 the husband 
the father, the grandfather, the pastor, the prophet, and the ambassador of Christ all welcome you and worship you. If you begin to speak to God through your gift, God will begin to talk to you about your gift. He'll begin to activate that and build it and stir it up in your life. Can you say amen? amen. Now, the apostle Paul not only said this is the thing that I am pursuing, but it also is the reason I'm leaving everything else behind. When you begin to lay hold of the gifts that God's put in your life, they will begin to demand a certain kind of exclusivity over your mind and your heart and your commitments. And more and more, they will drag you into a place in your life where you've got time for nothing but that, but doing the that that I might pursue that, forgetting what is behind, I'm going after that. Can you say amen? amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, one of my favorite sayings by him, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And when Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, he was in effect claiming, I am becoming God's gift in me. When he said, I am what I am by the grace, he used the word charis. I am what I am by the gift of God. Not just the Holy Spirit that entered my life when I got saved, but the charis that was in me when I was formed, which Jesus redeemed and is now raising up and developing in me. I'm becoming the man that I was destined to be the day I was born. And that is the man that is praising God. I am that which I am by the grace of God. He wasn't saying, God's grace makes me okay. That's what most people think that verse means. I am what I am, what I am by the grace of God, so you've just got to love me and put up with me. Most people think that the grace of God used in that verse, I am what I am by the grace of God, is permission to stay the same. But it's not permission to stay the same. It's power to become more. It's power to become the gift giver. Can you say praise the Lord? And so Paul said, that is the one that I am pursuing. I'm pursuing the man of the gift that the Lord is showing me. Be who you are according to your gift. Paul said, I am the man that grace is building. You be the woman and the man that grace is building. Stop trying to copy somebody else's gift. We as Christians, we look to leaders. There's nothing wrong with that. We are inspired by books and testimonies. There's nothing wrong. All of those are appropriate. They all have their place. But a true gift of God will help you get excited about who you are in Christ instead of drawing your attention to them and have you leaving thinking, I want to be that person? Are you, do you, does that make any sense to anybody? You understand what I'm saying? You need to stop trying to be somebody else's gift. One of the reasons why some of us have a hard time figuring out what God wants us to be is because we have discounted ourselves. Exactly the prophetic words that Pastor Lance spoke over those women, the DQ, what was it, the disqualified as, but they were really dairy queens, not disqualified. I, I, you got my attention when you went to the, the... Hallelujah. I'm just excited that Jesus knows about dairy queen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
So, you know, you would be surprised how many people have gone far in life, listen to me, have gone far and are looked up to by others, but they live under a sense of DQ or disqualification. They're not fully connected to the gift that God has put in them. And many people, even people that are famous and elevated and and are considered successful in this world, struggle and they may be incredibly energetic and they may be people of great accomplishment, but they're, they're always playing to the one person up in the balcony and it's not Jesus, it's a father that disapproved of them or a mother that put them down or a school teacher who said you're never going to make it and they, they're pushing through life trying to apologize for all the goof-ups and all that's wrong with them. Instead of cursing yourself, look, we all have flaws, It's true. But instead of cursing yourself and thinking I'm just a loser, now I'm a Christian loser, um, (laughs) maybe what you need to be doing is realize this morning that what's needed in your life is not to rid yourself of all of those traits that you have come to struggle with and dislike, but realize why they're there. That there is a reason that will pull them together and make them stand up in a sanctified way. Filled with power. Filled with agape. Filled with purpose. Hallelujah. So stop trying to copy everybody else's gift. You're an original. You're not a copy. You owe to Jesus to be yourself. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, Just as each one of us has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Now that phrase, use it as good stewards. I want to key in on that because if, if you think of your gifts as a stewardship from God, it'll dawn on you and you'll realize that you're accountable to Jesus to be yourself. Not to be somebody else. Once you start realizing the gifts that God's put in you, you'll realize, I'm responsible to be me. And you'll stop looking at what other people are and discounting yourself. You'll realize, when I stand before Jesus, there's only one thing I'm going to answer for, and that's the talents he's given me whether I buried them in the backyard or whether I went out and did something with them, not what talents he gave to somebody else. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6 and 8, there's that great list of motivational gifts. And I'm, I'm adding this into my message because I, I know that invariably there's going to be some people sitting out there saying, oh, he's preaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, working of miracles, gift of faith, so forth and so on. And uh, they're going to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God about what gift I have. I think, I'm, I think I've got the gift of word of uh, discerning of spirits because I, I look at people, I can tell what's wrong with them right away. Some people have that gift. It's really the gift of suspicion. Yeah, and if they used it on themselves, it would be the last time they used it. <laughs> but but it, I'm not just talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And I really think the gifts of the Spirit are added to the gift that God has really put in your life 
um, in, in order to empower it from on high. So I add this verse just to show that the Lord is basically saying through the Apostle Paul, I want you to think of yourselves and think of your life and think of your purpose and what needs to motivate you from Sunday to Sunday as the gift that God has put in me. What am I, what am I doing with it? So here goes. Here's what Paul says, verse eight, 6 through 8 in Romans 12. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God gives you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, then be encouraging. That is awesome counsel, isn't it? If your gift is being encouraging, encourage. Stop trying to be a prophet. Just encourage people. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership abilities, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, God furnishes you with the Holy Spirit to know what your giftings are. And I guess I like this verse because it really transcends everything from supernaturally oriented gifts to gifts that, you know, you might say are personality oriented, compassion, um, uh, organization, administration. There's all kinds of jobs that can spin off from these various gifts. But when you're doing a job, that really is, a, is an expression of the gift that God has put in your life. Man, you're living. That is, that is when life is great. And you know, as I said before, that uh, there are people who have kind of tapped into their gift a little bit, but they're still trying to be somebody else or they're still trying to be qualified by other people's approval. And that's why you see celebrities committing suicide. You think, man, if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't be killing myself. I'd be too bad. I'd say, you know, the suicide's going to have to wait a month because I still have a house I want to buy, another car. I mean, if nothing else, just the natural things. I, I got to, you know, I've got this new, I'm going to buy a new car. I need to go drive it by my friend's house real slow. You know, you've got all kinds of dreams and ambitions you want to fulfill. So when I see celebrities killing themselves, I think to myself, and may, this is kind of dark, so maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but it's, it's me. <laughs> so you kind of come to expect it. I'm going to say it. So when I hear about the celebrities killing themselves, everybody goes into this you know, deep sort of, oh, this is terrible. And it is terrible. But what I see is somebody who has never connected their gift with the person that put the gift in them. They never realized what that gift was there for. And so they're struggling and maybe misappropriating that gift. You see, the gift that God has put in you is meant to connect you with the Father. It's what makes you who you are with God. I see, I believe when you stand before God, the Lord's not going to say, you know, um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, you know, how, were you a good usher? Now, maybe your gift really is in serving, and ushering is one of those ways of doing it. But I, I, I feel like, um, or how much did you pay your tithes, or that sort of thing. I really believe that what he is going to deal with us about is, you know who I made you to be, who you really are. Did you pursue that in your life? 
Did you give yourself to the world through that gift? And, and I, in a way that I was able to multiply what I put in you for, for my glory. God has furnished you with the Holy Spirit so that you can know and develop your gift. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, We have received the Holy Spirit who is from God so that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate the gifts bestowed on us by God. The Holy Spirit is in you to introduce you to your gift. Hallelujah. And you can go down on your knees every morning and say, Lord, who am I? Who, what is the gift in my life? Show me. Give me a little more clarity. Um, let me understand the potential that I feel rising up inside myself. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I love this one. You just, you can't, there's no getting around this one. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I, I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. For God has not given us a spirit of power, uh, of, of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Now, we always quote that verse 7 separate from verse 6. We always say, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. Be bold. God wants you to have power. He wants you to feel powerful even in your weakness. And he wants you to have a sound mind. And he wants you to be filled with his love. But I want to connect this to the verse that Paul actually wrote it in connection to. Verse 7 that says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, was a, a, an extension of the thought, stir into flames the gift that God has put in your life. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, if you really want power, from the Holy Spirit, love from the Holy Spirit, sound, clear thinking from the Holy Spirit to rise up exponentially and operate in your life. Get in touch with your gift. Find out who you are in Christ. Pursue it. Stir it. Do what Paul said. I push everything aside so that I can know who I am and pursue that and be that person. Paul didn't say at the end of his life, I finished Peter's job. He said, I finished my job. Now I'm ready to go receive a crown. Can you say amen? amen? Here is my altar call this morning, and we are going to have an altar call this morning. I am preaching these things to you today so that giving your gift will become the thing that you're willing to lay your life down for. In Genesis chapter 30, Verse 1 is a, and I can't, I don't have time to go into the story, is, a, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, the beautiful Rachel, the wife of Jacob. And how many of you would say this morning, I, I know who Rachel is? Anybody know who Rachel is? All right, Genesis 30, read the story. That's your assignment. Go home and read about Rachel because you're going to read about yourself. But let me tell you something. Real quick, Jacob, the son of Abraham, uh, son of Isaac, rather. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There you go. Yeah. Um, Jacob had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was definitely fulfilling. God was using him to fulfill the word to Abraham. Well, 
Jacob found a girl that he fell in love with. She was gorgeous. Her name was Rachel. And uh, so Rachel's father was, was Jacob's uncle, Laban. And so he said, I want your daughter. I'd like to marry her. He said, well, you got to work for me seven years, and then you can have her. So he labored seven years for that. She must have been something, boy. <laughs> so he worked for her. He worked for that girl seven years. They had a big wedding at the end of seven years. Well, let me tell you something. That, that Laban, he was a piece of work because after the wedding ceremony and everything, he goes, psst, to Rachel, come over here. And he gets, him, gets her behind the tent and they like clonk her out and they take her away and they stick a burqa on top of uh, her, her older sister who's a little bit homely, uh, Leah. Leah's older, but she doesn't have the looks and Laban's like, i got to get rid of Leah. <laughs> Nobody's wanting her. I, we need to get her married. So he puts her under a burqa and sends her into the honeymoon tent. The next morning, Jacob wakes up and looks over. He goes, ah! He screams. <laughs> what happened? My God, I've That makeup was working. So... He realizes, well, I, I just married Leah. And so he goes and he gets, he gets his uncle. He says, what have you done to me? What have you done to me? I've, I've married Leah. I'm not interested in Leah. I'm not, I'm not uh, in love with Leah. He said, I want Rachel. He said, all right, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. You work another seven years. I'll give you Rachel, but I'll tell you what, we'll have a wedding next week, you know, and I'll give her to you up front. So I'll give her to you on credit, you work for me. So the man had like two weddings in a week. So he now has these two wives. Now the problem was that Rachel turned out to be barren and could not have children. Drop dead gorgeous, beautiful. He's in love with her, but she is, she is barren. Now, Leah, Leah was not an attractive, probably strong girl, big-boned gal. And, but I'll tell you, she could have babies. Woo! Girl could put out babies. So Leah's kicking babies out year after year, but she can't get Jacob to love her. Meanwhile, Rachel is dying year after year. Now, this is a very important story, and you need to follow this. This is where our altar call comes in. Like so many Christians today, Rachel was designed to be a giver. She was born to give, to produce the next generation, and it meant everything to her to be a giver. I want you to think of having children in the mind of Rachel as giving her gift. Giving the gift that will produce the next generation. And so Rachel, is, her soul is grinding down every year. And she sits at her makeup table day after day, filled with the best makeup, the best perfumes. Her husband has brought from the north, south, east, and west every most beautiful clothing, whatever she wants, she gets it. She is wealthy. She is privileged. She is adored. 
everyone in the village wants to look like her. All the guys wish that, that she was their wife, but she is hating her life. Because year after year, it's coming down to one thing. All I want to do is give my gift. I just want to give my gift, and it's the one thing that life has robbed from me. And here it is. We're going to put it in terms that can, you and I can relate to. Rachel was designed to be a giver, but she was living as a receiver. And that's where so many Christians are today. They come to church every week. i got to receive. I want to receive. They want attention. They want help. They want healing. I need more of this. I need more of that. Rachel had it all. Her husband, Jacob, couldn't give her enough. Jacob, is a, in this illustration, is a type of Jesus. He loved her dearly, loved her greatly, gave her everything. And so in Genesis 30 and verse 1, she finally one day grabs hold of her husband and says, Give me children or else I die. Give me children or else I die. And Rachel, in all of her advantages, could find no consolation in her husband's love, her advantages, her favor, her privilege, her position. None of them mattered to her if she could not be a giver of the gift that God had put in her. That gift wasn't working, and it had to work. She was sick of living as a receiver. She was sick of living as a woman adored and a woman that was uh, uh, um, exalted. And let me tell you something. If the devil can preoccupy you with what you have, you'll never be desperate enough to give. And you'll be willing to live without fulfilling your gift. How happy are you with all the things that God has given you in this life? Are they enough to keep you distracted? Rachel was designed with a gift to give for the next generation. And she was not going to live without giving that gift that was locked up in her. That's what cried out that day to her husband. And so I could see her taking hold of Jacob and saying, Give me children or else I die. And I wonder if we would be willing to go to Jesus in prayer and grab hold of him and say, Unlock my gift. I thank you for the grace. I thank you for the beautiful garments of righteousness. I thank you for the favor and that you love me. I, I thank you for the house of worship where I'm, where I'm appreciated. And my life has been just enhanced beyond measure by the blessings you've given me. But it's not enough for me to go on and live. I want to be productive. I want to bear fruit. I want to, I want to have posterity. I want to live my gift. I'm finding it hard to go on every day being a receiver. I want to be a giver. Is anybody here that can relate to that? Does that make sense to anybody this morning? And like Rachel, I hope that no amount of receiving adoration and privilege or favor will be enough compensation to silence your desire to give your gift. So my prayer today as I have the privilege of 
laying hands on whoever I'm going to lay hands on and pray over. My prayer today is for God to open the womb of your soul and release the potential that he has sown as a seed inside your gift. And I would ask you before you come to have hands laid on you, are you willing to follow in the footsteps of the greatest giver the world has ever known, and that is Jesus Christ, who God gave as the gift of heaven, who at his appointed time gave his life. And when the Greeks and the Gentiles were standing outside the door after three and a half years of ministry, as he's about to go to the cross, and said, we, we want to see and hear Jesus too. And Jesus realizes his moment is coming. He now has to give his life for the world. He turns to his disciples and he says, I tell you truly, unless a seed, he's talking about his gift, unless a corn of wheat as a seed is willing to fall into the ground and die, it will live alone. That's why the celebrities commit suicide. No matter how much they have, no matter how many millions adore them and watch their movies and listen to their music, they're alone. They're empty. And the emptiness is killing them. Jesus said it. You will abide alone if you don't let your if you don't ride your seed into the ground. I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but if you want to be the gift of God in your life, that gift that is a seed and it's going to take you to places where you're going to have to die to self. Rachel did it. She said, "I'm dead if I can't give to the next generation. She died to her love for all of the money and the clothing and the favor, even the love of her husband. She died to all of it. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? God is speaking to us. God is pulling on us, church, in this hour to reach this stubbornly entrenched and heavily bound generation. It's going to take people who have been released into their gift, not so that people can credit them or say, you know, uh, I feel significant now, but their significance isn't in getting, it's in giving. It's in giving. I want to be a giver. I'm not looking for anything for myself out of it. I want to see Jesus lifted up. If, we're, if we worship Jesus as the Lord of eternity, then we're going to live with an eye to eternity. We're going to live our life as though eternity matters and not just today. So Jesus said, if a corn of wheat falls to the ground and, and dies, it will not abide alone, but it will bear much fruit. enjoyed this exciting message from Gateway Christian Fellowship. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.yourgateway.com.